0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I am convinced that if some public health officials get their way, we will never, ever, ever return to any sense of normalcy. Here here is why I I say that. I'm a big believer in getting vaccinated. I've I've been encouraging that from the beginning. As soon as I was eligible, I got vaccinated. got my second vaccination on Wednesday. And for what it's worth, I've had absolutely no adverse consequences. I know some people say they get sick or headache or flu-like symptoms. For me, completely and totally uneventful. I got the Pfizer vaccine, and I would encourage Everybody, that when you have the opportunity to get vaccinated, do it because to me that's the way to return to normalcy. One of the things that has been giving me a pause, though, is the fact that we're told that the vaccines have ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven percent, you know, efficiency, and yet even after people get their vaccines, both doses, if you're taking Moderna or Pfizer, and then wait the extra two weeks, we've still had public officials. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the CDC, who were saying, well, you know, even if you're fully protected, we, we still, we still don't encourage you to travel. Remember when you got that advice? Or we're still not sure that you should be able to go out into restaurants. And the big question is, is okay, why? if these vaccines are as effective as they are what is the justification for not then being able to return to normal if if you are protected and the argument that was made is well here here's the thing even even if you have this these vaccines and even if you were vaccinated it is possible that you might still get the disease you still might catch covid again And then it's even possible that this might be asymptomatic. You might get it, you might not know you have it, and then you go out and you give it to somebody else. So it's these theoretical sort of things, which to me, it strikes me, it's like the unicorn. If you're going to encourage people, I mean, yes, will you find a unicorn? Well, well, maybe, but the likelihood is it's not going to happen. So if we are trying to encourage people to get vaccinated, which I believe is important, the big question is, if you're trying to get over vaccine hesitancy, if you're telling People, well, even after you're vaccinated, you, you can't resume a, a normal life. It, it, it takes away a lot of the a lot of the encouragement and a lot of the motivation. And I've been told for the last year that you have got to follow the science. So my question all along has been: Let's not talk in theory. I mean, if what realistically in the real world, understanding that we don't walk around in bubble wrap, and understanding that every time we go outside we run the risk that a car is going to ram into a telephone pole and the telephone pole might fall on us or every time we get in our car and go out on the road we we run the risk that somebody's going to blow through a red light and hit us and cause serious injury but what are the real numbers if we're going to tell people that after you've been fully vaccinated after you've done you know what we you know what all the health experts say what are the real chances that there's a likelihood that, that you're going to get sick again and or pass it on to somebody else. Well, we're now, we're starting to see the numbers. Wall Street Journal has a big story about this today. All right. Here, here are the numbers. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has identified a small cohort of about 5,800 cases of COVID-19 infection among more than 66 million Americans who have completed a full course of vaccination. These so-called breakthrough cases, which are defined as positive COVID-19 test results, received at least two weeks after patients received their final vaccination dose, represent 0.008% of the fully vaccinated population. 5,800 cases among 66 million people. Let me break that down. That is less than a one in a million chance. It is less than a one in a million chance. Let me give you another example that might make it clear. In, in a normal baseball season at, at American Family Field, normal baseball season, the Brewers will draw somewhere, uh, th- they will draw somewhere around 2.9 million people, 2.8, 2.9 million people. All right. Let's let's up it. Let's say they get three million people. These numbers mean that three. Let's say that, again, people don't go to multiple games. It's three million people that go to Miller Park in the course of a given year. This would mean, you know, essentially that three people out of all those people that have gone to American Family Field have would would come down, would have a chance uh, of getting this this breakthrough thing of, of covid. It, it, it is. Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. Is it statistically likely? Absolutely not. And so the story continues. I mean, officials are saying, yeah, th- these numbers are what we expected because, you know, we, we, we never said that any vaccination is 100 percent foolproof. But then here, here's where I really take an issue with it. They go on to say these are the health officials that even vaccinated people are at risk. And should continue to take precautions. All right, the, the, the chance is less than one in a million. At some point in time, if we are following the science, are we ever going to get back to normal? And is a one in a million chance that you may in fact, a less than one in a million chance, that you may in fact get reinfected? Is that really a justification for saying, OK, for the foreseeable future, you, you have to continue to do all this other stuff. Or once you've been vaccinated, is it reasonable to say that, hey, it, it's time to start resuming your normal life? And I firmly believe. That, again, if the best numbers you can come up with, and I think this is a good thing, don't don't get me wrong, I think it is a great thing that you get yourself vaccinated and your chances are less than one in a million that you are going to get COVID again. To me, that's pretty much of an indicator that, hey, maybe it's time that you should start to feel comfortable resuming your normal life. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if it's not a one in a million chance that you're going to be reinfected, what what, what would the numbers be that would make people comfortable? One point one in two million, one in three million. I mean, at, at some point in time, you, you can't guarantee there's nothing sure about about life. But if we want people to get vaccinated and I want people to get vaccinated, if we want that to happen, I mean, don't we have to say, hey, look, th- these are what the numbers are. And once you get vaccinated, there is almost no chance not no chance, but almost no chance that you're going to be reinfected. So, all right, you should feel comfortable going out to restaurants. You should feel comfortable sitting around. You should feel comfortable gathering because you've done everything reasonable to protect yourself. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Wall Street Journal. Big story today. They, they They've said, okay. if the concern is that we still need to do all these precautions after people have been vaccinated, after you've gone through the course, what what and the the justification has always been, well, we we don't have any data to prove it, but we're concerned that there might be some reinfection. So even if you've been vaccinated, you could still get it and then you could pass it on. Well, they're starting to look at the numbers out of 66 million vaccinations. They've had 5,800 cases of of covid. That is less than a one in a million chance. Now, let's say that there might even be, you know, more numbers that are out there. Let's say there might be twice as many. So, okay, the chance is two in a million. We'll we'll, we'll double that. But yet we're still being told, well, no, even if you've been fully vaccinated, you've got to take all these precautions. My point is if we're going to really encourage people to get vaccines, you you have to say, look, uh, here's what the numbers show. Once you are fully vaccinated, is it an absolute guarantee that you're not going to get COVID or you're not going to get it and pass it on? No, it's not an absolute guarantee. But we can't guarantee you, like I say, that you're not going to walk outside your house and get struck by a meteor. When you get to a point where it's a one in a million, one in two or two in a million or three in a million chance at, at some point in time, don't you? have to say, look, Get this and then get back to normal. eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, no one in charge is following the science anymore. It would seem that the powers that be are happy to keep us all scared and cowering. If they'd like to get the rest of the population vaccinated, they need to be reasonable and logical and lift restrictions for those who have been vaccinated. The statistics and the science support allowing vaccinated people to get back to normal. To which I say Amen. Let's start with Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, good afternoon
0: hi good afternoon jeff hey my point is that the cdc is acting like the ultimate helicopter parent of over the u.s population uh you know if my wife and i have both had covid with minor minor symptoms we both had both shots and we're still told to wear masks and stay six feet away from everyone and
2: right and don't go
1: inside and, and be, go don't travel meet. don't go to restaurants right don't don't get close to other people and the question is why <laughs>
2: you know what,
0: yeah, what why yeah why i mean uh it makes no sense to me at all and uh if it's up to them, we'll be living in the, like bubble people for the rest of our lives. Well, I think we'll never that, get out of this.
1: I think that there's a very good good evidence of that. Mark in Sheboygan, Mark here in WTMJ, good afternoon.
2: Hi, thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, um you know, you guys keep saying why and this and that, but you know, people are still getting sick. People are still dying. But
1: but are but, still but, but no. Hospital. But what about the people that are vaccinated? That's what I'm talking about. The but people that have good. had what? That's good. Of course, it's good. That's, that's my good. point. That's the, the people thing. that are in the hospital are not the ones that have been vaccinated.
2: That... No, but we're still around them. People are still sneezing out in the public. People are oh. still touching things. It's just just until we can get most of the population, what, one out of four Americans have been vaccinated, maybe over across the country, maybe not even that, it's going to take some time, I agree with the health department, if it takes another six months or a year. So be it. What do you,
1: explain to I me why, okay, Mark, explain to me why, if somebody has been vac, they've gotten their whole course of vaccinations, the chance is less than one in a million that they might get infected again. Explain to me why that person shouldn't be able to go out and live their life normally.
2: I don't know. It's just to me that I don't know all the things behind it, and I don't think you do neither, we, either of us do, but... I I think the health department knows what's best, and if it takes some time, yet yeah, I, I guess I get your point. Okay, good enough. Well, thank you. Uh,
1: okay, I, we'll see. And then uh, thank, I think okay, so I, that 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 is that is my point. I mean, it's if it's less than a one in a million, I want people to go get vaccinated. Like I say, that that to me is the ticket out. But there's no evidence. There's no scientific evidence. The numbers don't support this theory that you need to be locked up forever. If it's not a one in a million chance, what what would it take? One in two million one in three million no i know people are still getting sick i i understand that but my point is it's it's not the people that have had the vaccinations that are getting sick I- except that that one in a million case and the the idea that you could be okay one of those one in a million people and then you could be asymptomatic and that that's even less and then pass it on to somebody who hasn't been vaccinated again that's 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 getting struck by lightning. That's winning the Wisconsin lottery. That, that's the, or, or megabucks. The odds are so statistically insignificant that my question is, if not now, when? And by telling people that after they've been fully vaccinated, they still can't go out and start to live their life normally, I think that that's what's happening here. And look, I understand some people are still scared. I, I understand that people are, are still kind of hankering, you know, hunkering down in their basements. And they're afraid that, gee, if, if I go out, I'm going to be I could be exposed to this and I could get sick or whatever. And and if that's the case, well, that that's fine. Stay in your basement. I, I, I appreciate that. I respect that. But if you've been vaccinated, your chances of getting sick a second time or passing it on are, are just so very, very minuscule that at some point in time, do we, do we bubble wrap? everybody. And where do we do this? Jeff, if somebody wants to be in a bubble for the rest of their life, they can do that. I'm fully vaccinated. And I believe I and others who are fully vaccinated should be able to go out and live our lives as we see fit. In fact, I think people are making that decision for themselves as evidenced by the increase in travel and in other things. And like our caller was pointing out, I, I understand that yes there there are still people who are getting sick but it's not the people who are vaccinated that that's that's the reality of this and what is the purpose of getting vaccinated if we're going to say well we've got these really effective vaccines and they work and your chances of spreading this are are almost statistically insignificant but even after all, all you get this you know we we don't want you to you know Go out there. Um, You know, it's incredibly, the chances are incredibly small. Jeff, just because I'm not vaccinated doesn't mean I can't go out and do whatever I want. If people are getting vaccinated, uh, they don't have to worry about me. Well, there's an element of that, too. But I still think that, um, you know, everybody, I still think that, you know, it's in the interest of everybody to Get that vaccine. Um, Jeff, if the vaccine lessens the chance of bad reaction, they might be getting it, not having symptoms. So why would they get tested? That is an interesting question about, um, you know, why? Well, what what these studies and what The Wall Street Journal did is it looked at the health departments and the health departments track people who get covid and they're saying, OK, who are the people that have had covid and um have tested positive again? I, I guess if the argument is, well, maybe there's some more people who just haven't gone in and gotten tested, even though they've had symptoms. Oh, OK, so then make it two in a million. All right. Then then make it two in a million. It's still statistically the odds are it's it's non-existent and if this is going to be the justification then we might as well just say for the rest of our lives this is what we're going to do because covid's not going anywhere the covid is always going to be with us remember back in the beginning the idea was let's flatten the curve what we want to do is we want to stop hospitals from being overwhelmed by this and and i understand and appreciate it now the concern in many respects is well we want to make sure nobody gets covid well, I don't know how you're going to do that because I don't, unless you can, unless we can figure out a way to, you know, eradicate the virus and the various mutations, people are always going to get COVID. So does that mean for the rest of our lives that we're going to be operating with like 25 percent capacity in restaurants and 25 percent capacity at ballparks and all these different limitations—20 people on a bus or something like that? I mean, is that really how we're going to live in the future? Simply because even after people have been vaccinated. The fact that it doesn't guarantee absolute 100% safety means we're going to go do it. I I just, to me, you have to have some dose of reality. And if the numbers are really this small, I think health officials would be wise to, as a way of encouraging people to get vaccinated, they'd be wise to say, hey, look, you, you get yourself vaccinated. Look at what these numbers are. These numbers are great news. To me, they are great, great news, and they should be touted. You get yourself vaccinated, and, you know, your chances of getting this are less than getting struck by lightning. That's the message that should be sold. Everybody go out and get vaccinated. That's the message. Not, well, even if you get vaccinated, we're afraid that that unicorn might run in front of your car, so we, we expect you to live like you haven't been vaccinated. Back with more in a minute. Everyone 16 and older is now eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. Do you have questions about the vaccine? Getting back to work? Opening schools? Please join John McCure on Tuesday, April 27th for a special WTMJ roundtable Vax Facts 2.0. John will be joined by Dr. Ben West and the leading health official in Milwaukee County to help answer your questions about the vaccine. Want to hear your question on the air? Give us a call at 414-203-8105. That's 414-203-8105. And don't forget to join us at 4 o'clock on Tuesday, April 27th, for a special WTMJ roundtable, Vax Facts 2.0, on News Radio 620 WTMJ, sponsored by Dave Drake Camp Heating. And by the way, nothing in that last conversation is intended for me to suggest at all that, that people shouldn't get vaccinations. Yes, we should all get vaccinations. And the more of us that get vaccinations, and the faster we get the vaccinations, the quicker the numbers are going to go down even more. My only point is for people, once you've been fully vaccinated, you, to, to tell people that, well, you, you should still be as worried as you are if you're not vaccinated. It, it's, I think it's very, very counterproductive. So again, um, the study says, point, if once you've been once you've been fully vaccinated, the number of breakthrough cases represent zero point zero zero eight percent of the fully vaccinated population. All right. Let us move on. What happened yesterday at the FedEx facility, in Indianapolis, is yet another terrible, terrible example of the ongoing violence in this this country. And we're, we're still awaiting the, the news. Apparently, the, the story is sometime around midnight last night. Um, person pulls into the FedEx facility they have not identified the guy other than to say that it is a, a male in his 20s i'm presuming it's somebody who works there because it looks to me like it's a a locked lot but i don't know that for sure the reports are the person gets out of the car grabs a rifle and shoots a number of people in the parking lot and then shoots some people in the building and then shoots himself uh, nine people dead including the shooter and uh, a number of others who are injured and and You know, we'll, we'll have lots of time to dissect this as, as more and more details emerge. And, you know, we, we find out more about the background of the shooter. And I know that this is going to lead to a conversation about, as predictably happens in these sorts of situations, gun control and things of the like. And we'll, we'll have an opportunity to have that discussion. And, and there'll be plenty of time for it. There, there is an interesting sidelight story to this that I I want to discuss with you because I, I find it to be interesting. Federal Express FedEx has a policy that workers are not allowed to have their cell phones on on the work floor. You can bring your cell phone to work, but what you have to do is you have to leave your cell phone in your locker. That that's the that that's the rule. So I, I think when you're on your breaks and stuff, if you go back to the locker room, I think you have access to it. But you are not allowed to have your, your cell phone with you while you're you're working. And the, the 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 reason FedEx says that they have that policy is to minimize potential distractions around package sortation equipment and dock operations. So that that's for, for the there are some employees, like some of the supervisors, that are allowed to have cell phones, but as a general rule, you're not allowed to have your cell phone with you on the floor of the facility. Now, I'm sure part of it is to minimize distractions. Another part of that, though, is undoubtedly because they, they, they want the employees working, they, they don't want them on cell phones. I mean, let, let's let's be honest, they don't want the people you know using their cell phones and making outside calls and stuff when they're supposed to be working. So th- that's obviously part of this as well. Well, this has become controversial because after the shooting incident, they, of course, they they locked down and they they made people shelter in place. And you had a number of employees, vast majority of employees who weren't allowed to to go get access to, to their cell phones. It was an active shooter situation. So you had a number of these employees who weren't able to reach out to their family members and say, hey, I'm okay. I, I know you're seeing these reports on the news. I'm not one of these people. I, I'm fine. There, there was in some cases, you know, several hours before you know people could reach out and tell their loved ones that they, they were fine. And the argument is, if you would have allowed people to have their cell phones on the work floor, that this would not have been as much of an issue. Okay, and FedEx now says, okay, we're 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 going to reconsider this cell phone policy in light of of what happened um 855-616-1620 that's the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line all right my guess is that fedex is not the only place that that has a, a cell phone policy like this for example on a much different level I know that there's a number of restaurants in town, and and their rule is you're you're not allowed. Like for example, that the servers, the employees, they're they're not allowed to have their cell phones. When you come in, you know you you put your cell phone in your locker or, or wherever. And the idea is because if they don't, they know people when they're supposed to be working are going to be on their cell phone texting things. In this particular situation the active shooter situation, and the way they evacuated the building, there were all sorts of people who weren't able to go get their cell phones to call their loved ones. Is this a justification for changing the policy? Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand why businesses have these policies, and I understand that under this situation, it caused a hardship for making it difficult for employees to be able to reach out and tell their loved ones that they were okay having said that this policy still makes sense to me i mean what the businesses are trying to do is say okay when you're working we don't want you walking on the floor calling on your cell phone we don't want you sneaking around the corner and you know trying to text people when you're working we want you working i don't think that's an unreasonable position 8556161620 what do you think Look, I, I don't know how you make sense of th- these mass shootings. And I, I honestly, I, I don't know what the answer is. And I'm sure that as more details emerge about this horrible thing that happened at the FedEx facility in Indianapolis last night, then there's again, we're going to have all these conversations and it's going to be about gun control. And I, I, obviously, there's mental health issues and, and all these different factors. And there'll be a time for that. One of the interesting side stories that's developing is that after the shooting occurred, There were a a number of employees who were like rounded up and they were removed from the facility and they were taken to a hotel in secure situations. FedEx has a policy where you are not allowed to have your cell phones on the floor, where you're the work floor. You, you can bring them, drop them off in your locker. Well, what happened is when these when the place was evacuated, employees weren't given an opportunity to go into the locker room and get their personal effects and stuff. They, they just got out of the building for safety's sake. So in many cases, they were not able to at least immediately reach out to their loved ones to tell them, hey, I'm OK. Nothing to see here. Uh, I don't worry about it. I, I'm not one of the people. People that was was victim here, um, but they weren't able to do that because they weren't able to get their cell phones. All right. Is this a justification for FedEx changing its cell phone policy? My answer would be no. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. uh This is hopefully. I mean, I understand you You have these mass shootings, and this is a horrible sort of situation, but to me, there's all sorts of valid reasons why FedEx has this particular policy, and I don't think you need to change it because, again, you have on this one instance, you have this horrible thing that occurs. Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Hi, Mike.
3: Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you?
1: I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I don't think it's a justification to change the policy. Um, I've worked in an environment like that. When you're dealing with packages you have to be on your toes
3: be paying attention or you are going to mess up um it is a horrible thing that happened and it happens it, it happens it frequently but it happens too often of these shootings but it's still not enough to say okay you can you know um bring your cell phone now because i've seen it i've worked in a facility where they allowed cell phones and it caused a lot of problems productivity, and other reasons
1: well, yeah. I mean, thanks for call. I mean, see that—that's obviously the, the issue you now. FedEx says, "Hey, well, we've got we've got safety concerns and things like that," and I'm sure that that's a factor too. But I, I think. You know at the end of the day you know productivity is is a huge issue as well they're, they' they they don't want people when they're supposed to be loading packages or doing whatever it is they're supposed to be doing they don't want people you know texting they don't want people on on their cell phones they want them doing that in their, their break time and I don't think I guess that's an unreasonable position for an employer to take if it's hey you know check check your cell phones at the door let's talk to Mabel and Oak Creek hi Mabel you're on WTMJ Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
4: I, I think this I'm a former FedEx employee, and when, um, before cell phones even were available, and I talked to some of my colleagues that are still doing FedEx, and they're like, they're really adamant about the cell phone thing because when those trucks come in and everything gets sorted to go out to wherever, you have to be 110% focused. They don't want a phone. Vibrating in your pocket, if you miss a scan, that throws off so many reports, it's not even funny. The situation where this is isolated, where this is a shooting, and I feel so badly for everyone involved, is that maybe FedEx will, and UPS and all these other places, too, will put a system in place now where the supervisor will have this set up where they'll say, okay, we're all evacuating. There will be a phone provided for you to make a necessary a necessary call, so they can contact a loved one. But when those, the police and everybody else is like, everybody you need to right. have to secure the scene. I get that. I really do.
1: Yeah, and, and this was, I mean, thankfully, as horrible as this was, this is a freak occurrence. I mean, it's not like something like this, you know, thankfully occurs on a daily basis at facilities. And I I guess to me, again, it, it just makes sense. Maybe there's some jobs where it doesn't matter if you have your cell phone in your pocket or not, but like you're talking about, a job here, cell phones are going to be a distraction, and I'm sure their concern is when they're, like you're saying, trying to load the packages or do whatever, their, their worry is that, hey, somebody's going to be tempted to to text or somebody's going to be tempted to to take the call or to, you know, call their friend to see what we're doing on Friday night. And that distraction can really screw up the business. Yeah, thanks for calling me. But I think that's, and I think your idea is good. It seems to me you can develop a policy perhaps now that you know this is the case, to say, okay, well, we're, we're we're going to have some sort of, like, phone tree that we can develop where we can quickly notify people in the event of a situation like this. And, and maybe that's a preparedness thing. But, I, again, I don't... I, I, I will just tell you, I, I know people who work in man, as managers in, in a variety of different settings, and their rule is you can't have the cell phone with you when you're... Whether it's a retail setting or a restaurant setting, you, you can't have the cell phone with you when you're... At at work because it is going to be a distraction. It's too much. It's just too much temptation for somebody to say, "Oh, I'm just going to be on the phone for a couple minutes here," and, and that's why they do it. Let's talk to Betty and Waukesha. Betty, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
5: Hi, Jeff. Hi. Hor- horrible, horrible. Yeah. But you know this cancel culture that we're living in now. I think is going to come and bite us. A few different times, you know, not only the policing of the cell phones and the production, aside from that, we can't just put aside all of these laws and stipulations that we have in these companies and, and in the world. I mean, for every little thing, I, it would be great that this would never happen again but you know
1: yeah well i mean thanks i mean I obviously i mean thanks to Betty. i mean obviously the shooting isn't is isn't a little thing it, it it's a very very big deal but i guess the question to me is it, this is such a unique circumstance that if there is a reason for the rule um a valid reason whether it's employee safety or worker productivity or whatever the fact that you do have th- this isolated hopefully, horrible sort of situation. And uh, I, it would strike me, I like what our first caller, Mabel, was talking about, that there's, you know, there, there's different ways that you could perhaps address that, figuring out, okay, if the situation ever occurs again and we, we need to, you know, evacuate a plant, how, how do we let the employees quickly notify their, their family and loved ones that they're okay? And I think that that's a valid concern, but that doesn't mean you throw the rule out. Tom uh, in Lamira, Tom, you're on WTMJ.
3: Hi, Josh. Thanks Hi, Tom. for taking my call. Sure. Two of my issues, um, you hit right on. I really agree with you on the aspect of the distraction from receiving and sending calls in our um, manufacturing facility that mm-hmm. I worked at. Plus, you also hit the point of this is a very rare circumstance that happened now. It's very unfortunate. I really feel for the people that you know could not reach loved ones yeah. one way or another if they were an employee or somebody on the outside, but... Uh, Having said that, again, the numbers, you know, for how this happens and how many companies there are and things like that, it just does not make sense, in my opinion, to do this. One of the things you talked about as far as distractions go, we've actually had more issues with people getting distracted by loved ones, whoever calling in during their workday while they were trying to operate machines or deal with items that were sharp and stuff like that and it just did not make sense. Uh, another thing with our company is that uh, we have a PA system, and should such an event occur, you have your leadership at, you know, out on the floor of the company that they do have their phones in as well, right. and they can call the office and, and tell them, hey, we need you to do this, or they can grab one of the wall phones themselves right. and instruct people as to where to go.
1: Yeah, no, Tom, and, and my understanding is they're like it. Sounds like it sounds like FedEx's policy is similar to what your company's policy is. That that um, they allow. There are some like the supervisory level employees. They they do have they do have cell phones. And I, I mean I think it's valid to say okay, moving forward, if if something like this, Lord forbid, were to ever happen again, can we figure out a better system for allowing employees to communicate with their loved ones and let them know that they're okay? Because I'm sure that, you know, I, I'm just, I'm trying to picture if my my wife worked at the Federal Express facility and I, I'm watching the news at night and I say, oh, there's a report that you, you've had eight people that are, that are shot. And, and I, I know that's going to be a, an absolute several hours of, of you know what, as you're trying to figure out, hey, is your loved one safe? So I'm not minimizing that at all. And I do think there's probably a valid argument for saying, okay, now do we need to have whatever that may, way is, do we need to have a, a quicker way of allowing people in an emergency situation where the place has to get evacuated and folks can't get back to their lockers to collect their their cell phones or their if, if women leave, I assume they leave purses in their lockers or whatever that might be. You know, whatever you've left in your locker, you can't get back in. Do we need to figure out a way to let you reach out to let your loved ones know that you're safe? I, I'm all in favor of that. and It seems to me there's probably lots of different ways that you could do that. But I, I think, you know, Cell phones, for all the good they do, I, I think they, they can, in fact, be a distraction. And I think from an employer's perspective, perspective again, whether it's safety or productivity or whatever, I think the no cell phone rule at work on the work floor, you know, makes sense. And I don't think you throw that rule out. You perhaps learn from this and figure out what could we do better. All right. Lots of stuff coming up on the program, including is it wrong to turn off
0: people's utilities for
1: failure to pay. We'll discuss next. Stick around.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the
1: show. Is it fair... In the middle of a pandemic, or if we're not in the middle of a pandemic, we're still in a pandemic, is it fair, is it right for utilities to begin shutting off people's service? My answer is, it's time to start, but you may disagree. Okay, here's the deal. In Wisconsin, we have a state law. That prohibits utilities from disconnecting people for non-payment during the winter. The idea is, you 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 know, in the middle of, middle of winter, it's January. You don't want to be turning people's heat off. Right? We we understand that. So the rule is, from November 1st through April 15th, utilities are not allowed to disconnect people. And so what happens is there are some people who, who understand that. And so they just make a decision that they're, they're not going to pay their utility bills because they know that they're, they're not going to have their utility shut off. I mean, if you don't pay your cell phone bill, what are they going to do? They're going to disconnect your service. You don't pay your car, make your car payment, you're, you're going to have your car repossessed. But when it comes to utilities, that six-month period is sort of a grace period. And then what happens is April 15th rolls around, the utility company. Will send out notices saying, "Okay, th- this is the deal. You know, unless you pay what you owe us or make arrangements for a payment plan, you're going to be disconnected." That's the that's the stick that the utilities have to require people to pay the threat that stuff might get turned off. All right, so here is the deal: November first of 2019. Now, right now we're we're in April of 2021. November first of 2019. The 2019-2020 winter moratorium goes into effect. So starting November 1st of 2019, you know, um, they, they can't disconnect things. April 15th of 2020 rolls around. Well, what's going on in in April of last year? Well, we're, we're really, we're at the early stages of the pandemic and it's just, it is, it is chaos. People are losing their jobs right and left. You've got all this stuff that's going on. And so what happens is the decision is made by the authorities that we're, we're not going to allow disconnections to occur last April when they would have normally occurred. So you have people that have gone from April, from November 2019 to April of 2020. They they haven't made any payments, so they're not disconnected, or they, they owe a bunch of money, can't disconnect them. Ultimately, what happened is the Public Service Commission made the decision on a couple different occasions throughout the course of the next year to extend the moratorium. So they extended the moratorium through the summer of 2020, into the fall of 2020, then November of 2020 rolls around and the, the moratorium kicks in. So the bottom line is, for people who have not made payments on their utilities, the utility companies have not been allowed to disconnect them, and it can go back to November of 2019. So essentially you're talking a, a year and a half. The numbers are, let me see, I have the numbers here, a, as of the end of last year, and m- i'm sure that it's it's probably larger by now because we've had another few months but the most recent numbers that i have are that um 93,000 households and 4800 plus businesses were were delinquent and had not made the payments and they were subject to disconnection and like i say my guess is that number is larger now cuz my dad is about a, a couple months old uh the estimates were that utilities, um, utilities at the end of last year. Again, these numbers are are great. The numbers I have are at the end of twenty twenty, so it's been another three and a half months. Um, the utilities, the money owed utilities, past due balances was over three hundred and nine m as in million dollars. Like I say, I'm sure that number is larger now. So, but but three hundred nine million is the last number I have. What happens is. That because utility companies have to serve all customers, if if they can't recoup the money that's owed on past due balances, what happens is they can they make it up by requesting future rate increases for all customers. So Everybody who's paying their bills pays for the utility bills, pays for the people who, who don't. You know, it, it, that's just the that's just the way it works. They'll, they'll come in and the utility companies will say to the Public Service Commission, okay, look, we, we have $309 million or $350 million in, in bad debts. We need to increase our rates to everybody else in order to make that happen. So now... As of April 15th, which would have been, what, yesterday? As of April 15th, the moratoriums on disconnections have finally expired. And so now, under the law, utility com- uh, utilities are... Are allowed to start the process of, of disconnecting people. Now it doesn't mean that people are going to get disconnected tomorrow because it, it's a pro- it's a process they have to follow. They have to follow plans with they have to file plans with the state, telling them what they're going to do, and then they have to send notices out. But the chances are a lot of people who've been delinquent are, for the first time in a year and a half, going to start getting um, cancellation notices. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are still dealing with a pandemic, no question about it, and there's a lot of people that are not back on their feet as of yet. Is it unfair to turn off their utilities? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is is no but my answer is you have to the utility companies have to start doing something that gets people to at least try to pay their back due balances. Utility companies don't want to, the last thing they want to do is disconnect somebody because if they disconnect somebody, their chances of of collecting that past due balance become very, very difficult. So what the utility companies want to do is they want to use the threat of disconnection to encourage people to, you know, enter into payment plans, you know, contact the utilities, start paying something towards the debt. And I don't think that that is unreasonable. At some point in time, you have to let the utility say, look, if, if you're not, if you're not making an effort to pay us what you owe us, well, then, then you're going to lose your, your services. You're going to lose your electricity. We don't want to do it, but, but there is, there is no free lunch in this regard. And there's all sorts of programs that are out there that people can sign up for if they need energy assistance or, or they need help. There's all sorts of things that people can do, but you've at least got to make that effort. So I have no problem at all as we move into the later spring and the summer with the utility saying, look, if, if, you're, if you're behind, you gotta start paying stuff back. Just like if you were behind on your cell phone, your, your cell phone would have been shut off a long time ago. If you were behind on your cable bill, your cable would have been shut off a long time ago. Is it unreasonable to start saying, look, if, if you don't make arrangements to start paying what you owe, We're going to turn off your electricity. We're going to turn off your gas. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, people need to start being accountable for their bills. Utilities and rent need to start getting paid. There's no excuse in this area for people to be out of work because everywhere I look from restaurants to fast food places to mechanics to construction and IT, people are begging for workers. We can't keep kicking the the can down the road. Well, in addition to that... You know, keep in mind, we've had multiple rounds of stimulus payments. And I guess I don't think it is unreasonable to say that a portion of maybe those stimulus payments that people should have received, in some cases thousands of dollars, could have been set aside or could have been used to at least pay down or make arrangements to go on a payment plan to help pay for the utilities. The reason it doesn't happen is because some people understand that until you can delay paying the piper, that, that until these moratoriums end, there's no that there's no uh, stick that the utility companies have to force people to make the payments, unlike, like I say, you're, you don't make your car payments, your car is going to get repossessed, your cable TV is going to get shut off, your phone's going to be turned off, all those different things. And, and so my concern is, especially for whatever the subset is of people who are really, really delinquent, the folks who, who haven't made payments for like a year and a half, can you imagine what their bills are going to be and how they're going to, but just allowing them to continue to run up bills month after month, it, it doesn't solve the problem. At some point in time, you either have to force people onto a plan where they're they're starting to pay back what they owe, or alternatively, you've got to cut your losses. And, I, and I'm sure that there's a lot of people that haven't made payments in a year or a year and a half, and that the bill is probably astronomical, and there's probably no way that they're going to be able to make those payments. But If there's no way they're going to be able to make the payments, you know, as of April, there's certainly going to be no way they're going to be able to make those payments out of June or July or whatever. Jeff, Energy is very fair with dealing with people that don't pay their bills. They should be able to take a percentage of the customer's relief money. Well, uh, I mean, they're they're not allowed to do that, but... um, you know that's Jeff. What would Jesus do? Feed the hungry, clothe the needy, shelter the homeless, etc. Humanitarian actions. So I mean, I think that texture would suggest that we we just uh, allow people to not pay their bills. Now, I that that that's all well and good, but at some point in time. Somebody's got to pay for the, these bills. So does that mean that you're a sucker or I'm a sucker? We're, we're chumps if if we're paying our utility bills, so other people can make the decision that they're not going to pay theirs. Is that we're, we're it, that's not a Christian response? If you say to people that you have to be at least take some responsibility Jeff um, I think that people have to pay up uh, check your we energy bill there's an line there's a line item that says low income assistance fee it's about three seventy a month we already do help people well we we do plus there's all sorts of other assistance people that are out there Jeff people need to start making payments plus pay some extra amount to make at least a minimal debt in the payback um you know I think you know that that's the element. Jeff, this is Kelly uh, Kathy from New Berlin. I was forced to do rolling layoffs over the past year because of the pandemic. I did not receive all the extra weekly money August um, September through just recently. I've paid my utility bills and sacrificed in other areas. Yes, the people that haven't paid should be cut off and know the utilities should, shouldn't should pass it on. It's not fair to us who've paid, even though we ended up suffering through this. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the energy that's out there. I mean, somebody's going to have to pay for this, unless we're just going to decide that it, it, it's all going to be free, because, you know, what would Jesus do? I mean, everybody should have free stuff. Well, okay that that's that's great but I'm not sure who ends up paying for that Jeff I was on hold for fifty minutes with we Energys calling for a friend um we Energy said they have no intention of cutting off power at least through June she said they will send out a notice to make arrangements right that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier even though the moratorium is over and it, it First of all, the different utilities, before they can start disconnecting people, they've got to file plans, I believe, with the Public Service Commission, saying how they're going to go about it. And then then what happens is they send out disconnection notices, and they give people, I, I, I've never gotten one, but they send people these notices saying, hey, you, you've got 15 days, you've got 30 days, or whatever the time is. But what, what the notices say is, contact us. They're, they're begging people, contact us. Because like I was mentioning earlier, the the utility companies want to work out a payment plan. The last thing they don't want to do is disconnect, because once they disconnect, they they lose pretty much all chance of being able to collect short of putting the matter into collection or doing whatever that is. They want to keep providing services. They just want you to reach out and start to make an arrangement to start working off your bill. And I guess I don't think that that's... Uncharitable. I don't think that that's you know unChristian. I think that that's just a reasonable sort of a reasonable sort of policy to do that. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Uh, the news broke yesterday that John McAdams, who was a political science professor at Marquette University, passed away at the age of seventy-five. And I just want to offer a comment on this. Uh, professor McAdams was was a character. He he he's been. A friend of this program for the, the 20 plus years that, that, there's been a program here on WTMJ. He was, and I say this in, in the nicest way. He, he was, he was a gadfly. He was the original. I would describe, I saw Senator Ron Johnson described him as the original Marquette warrior. And, and he was. He was, he was a very rare breed. He was, uh, he was a conservative in a very very liberal academic environment who didn't allow himself to get kid bulldozed and he he would push back on a regular basis when he saw things that were going on 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 the campus that were, were wrong. And he used um, this blog he had called the Marquette Warrior. He used it to publicize these things and, and it infuriated the, the people at Marquette. They were just, the, the and many of his colleagues who were far to the left of him, they were outraged that he would be exposing stuff. The administration was outraged that he was exposing stuff. But McAdams, he didn't care. I mean, he, he had a very clear sense of right and wrong. At one point in time, uh, university officials, in my opinion, kind of trumped up these allegations and used it as a basis to try to get rid of him. He he took him to court, and it was a, a lengthy battle, but he ended up winning in the state Supreme Court, and he was reinstated and got all the money back and things like that that, that he'd been taken away. He, he was a guy who, again, refused to be rolled by the forces of political correctness and um, just sort of miscast in liberal academia. And Marquette is a very, very liberal institution right now. And McAdams was the guy that exposed all that. And, you know, he passed away earlier this week at the age of 75. Like I say, he was uh, he was a friend of the program. John would reach out on multiple occasions, you know, calling my attention to some of his latest blog posts and things like that. And, and some of the issues that he raised were just so Marquette-specific that I, I – I mean, I didn't do. Every, I didn't talk about all the things and all the different stories he broke because some of the stuff was so Marquette specific. I, I didn't know that I thought it was appropriate for a general audience. But there was a lot of stuff that just demonstrated where academia is going. And and he he just again, I, I admire the man who had the courage of his convictions. He passed away at the age of seventy five. Trust me, he will be missed. John McAdams, sail on. Well, as long as we're talking about whether you have obligations to pay things, here's the deal. When, when Joe Biden ran for office, when he ran for president, one of the things that he was looking at doing, he said, look, I, I'd be open to studying. I, I'm prepared to consider writing off. in in student debt. So if you've got a $10,000 outstanding loan, I'm considering just waving my magic wand and making that debt go away. Now, what that means is when you make the debt go away, it doesn't mean it disappears. It means that everybody else the other taxpayers taxpayers have to pick up the tab well there's some people on the left that are saying oh mr president that that's not enough what you need to do is you need to you got to do away with all this student debt that, that's out there because don't you understand it's it's just not fair we've got all these people that owe student these students that owe money and and it's it's traumatic and it's tough for them and we got to make it disappear so so here is the deal these are the most recent numbers I have about 45 million Americans hold student Loan debt. The total debt is about 1.7 trillion dollars. The vast majority of that is in federal student loans. There, there's about 200 billion is in private student loans, but but the vast majority is in federal student loans. Typically. The typical borr- borrower owes between twenty dollars to $25,000. That's the most recent numbers that I have. They usually typically have to pay somewhere between $200 to $300 a month. So that's the numbers. Student loan debt is the second largest source of individual debt in the country behind only mortgage debt. Um, they estimate that roughly one-sixth of the population older than 18 holds federal student loan debt. Debt, And for those under 35, about one third of the population has federal student loan debt. And the people who are saying we should just make this all go away argue that, hey, it's keeping young people from buying homes and it's making them delay starting families because, well, they they, they owe this money. And if you've got to pay two or three hundred dollars a month towards your student loan payment. Well, I mean, that, that's money that you could be putting towards a mortgage. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Look, I, am sorry, but nobody held a gun to anybody's head and, and first of all, you know, made them go to college. Secondly, nobody held a gun to people's head and made them, uh, take out loans to, to go to college. Nobody made them, for example. And one of the interesting things about these proposals is it doesn't, it doesn't matter what college you went to. So, I mean, he, he's looking at just, you could go to an Ivy League college. You could have gone to Yale. You could owe all sorts of money. He's apparently, you know, considering getting rid of at least up to $50,000 of student loan debt for people who went to Ivy League schools. I mean... 855-616-1620 that is the Acenet mortgage talk and text line. I confess that this makes my my head explode. For everybody out there who decided, okay, here here's the deal, we're we're going to we're going to go to a college that we can afford. Um, or I mean I'm, I have nothing wrong with student loans. I mean I, I think that's great. It, it gives people an opportunity to pursue their education, etc. But to me, this is no different than you know making a decision. Hey, I want to buy a nice car. I'm going to take out a loan to do it. We, we don't say, all right, well, well, forget about it. You don't have to make your car payments, and you get to keep the car. We don't say to people, hey, you want to buy a nice house? You got the mortgage. Well, tell you what, you could stop making the mortgage payments. We'll forgive that, and you get to keep the house. I mean, this to me is the same thing. You you. Made a decision to go to school. You got the benefits of that education. I think there's all sorts of blame to go around when it comes to, you know, for example, the schools who kept raising their tuition rates and raising their tuition rates, and students didn't care about that because hey, they could just always get more loans. So I, I think the high institutions of higher learning contributed somewhat to the problem, but. I just don't think you expect the taxpayers to bail out these things. If you wanted to do something to reform the system, maybe you could talk about adjusting the, the interest rates. I mean, right now, interest rates are, are just dirt cheap in the real world. So maybe somebody who's got a student loan, federal student loan that has an interest rate of whatever it would be, 9 10%. Maybe you can look at reducing that interest rate. I'm open to that. But forgiving the loans? Give me a break. And what does it say to all the people who worked, to go to college, put themselves through college, or all of us—whether your parents or you were doing it for some other relative—who saved, put aside money over the years, made investments, and then you know paid for your kids' education—are are, are are you a chump? I mean, essentially that's it. You know, are you a chump that hey, you know, you saved, you know, you sacrificed, you put aside fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars or whatever that was, so you could send your kids to school, and your next door neighbor who didn't now your next-door neighbor gets to write off the loans? Is that fair? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here's a text to start us off before the phones. Jeff, you're missing the point. College education makes the country stronger. All right, you know, to the texture, you're missing the point. I have nothing against going to college. That's not the point. Yeah, if you want to go to college, I think that's, that's great. I went to college. I went to law school. I, I don't apologize for that. But I, if you make the decision to go to college... and you take out loans to pay for that, yes, I think you have an obligation to pay them back. It's not don't go to college, but it's go to a college you can afford, or if you make, I say, the commitment that you're going to go to college and you take out loans, yes, I think you have a responsibility to pay them back. And if we want to talk about, like I say looking at reassessing the interest payments or something to bring it more in line with where the market is now. I'm, I'm OK with that. But just to say we're going to write off 10000 or we're going to write off $50,000 in student loan debt. Give me a break. Cynthia in Brookfield. Cynthia, you're first. Good afternoon.
4: Hi. Good afternoon. I am with you, Jeff. I am completely in agreement. Um, my parents taught me at a very young age the value of a dollar. In fact, when I went to college, I went to a tech college student specifically so i wouldn't rack up thousands and thousands of dollars in debt i got my nursing degree and i worked my butt off and i went to school and i worked at the same time i drove around a crappy car and i i really gave it my all and i'm happy to say that i am debt free and i worked my butt off for that and no. I just—it makes me crazy to think that people think that they should just get this paid off and just have it forgiven. I mean, it, it, it makes zero sense. Is you know?
1: Oh, but 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 don't you understand, Cynthia? You don't you understand, Cynthia? Because the people that have this debt and they have to pay three hundred dollars a month—that that stops them from buying a nicer car, or maybe it stops them from saving a down payment for a house. I mean, they because they've got to pay this off first. I mean, how that's—it's just not fair, Cynthia
4: you signed on the dotted line that you were going to pay that back you have the degree you took the classes Pay for
1: it like I did. Yeah. No. Thanks. No. 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 Thanks. No. And I I mean, I think that that's that's kind of the the attitude that that I think a lot of people end up having. Like I say, I think there's things you can do, and if you want to talk about lowering the interest rate, and I understand even there's an element of that that's unfair to the people that already paid back their loans, but 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 okay, bring it more in line with the market thing. But this idea that okay, gee, I, I wanted to go and I wanted to go to college and I. I, I took out, you know, $15,000 a year or whatever it is, or twenty grand a year, or whatever the loan was to get to pay college, a- and now I've got my degree, and hey, I don't feel like paying it back. I- I'd like to use other things for the money. Well, there's all sorts of bills that I have that I- I'd, love to, I'd love to use other things with the money, do other things with the money. Um, let's talk to Ryan in Sheboygan. Ryan, good afternoon.
5: Hey, Jeff, how are you?
1: I'm well, thank you, sir. What do you think?
5: I think
3: it's absolutely terrible, and I agree with you. I'm 21 years old. I went to tech school, paid cash for all my college, and I drive a semi now. And just for everybody to be forgiven, 10000 if not the whole thing, is just mind-boggling. And the thing that you said that it would stop, you know, stopping people from buying a house and, and mm-hmm. starting a family, well, now you give everybody, you know, pay off their college debt, it's going to create such an influx in the housing demand it's going to be 10 times worse than what it is right now and it's pretty bad right now i mean it's well you know ryan you're really crazy the demand of housing
1: Ryan, you're, you're, yours is an interesting point if for example okay so you went you went to a tech school and, and now you're working you're driving a truck and stuff if instead the government would have said to you i tell you what ryan you know we're going to give you 30 40 grand uh, you know 50 grand here why, why don't you go to a liberal arts college or whatever hang out hang out for a few years enjoy the college experience um you 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 would have probably done that but by you getting your your getting on with your profession you're kind of a chump too because hey you you know they, they didn't give you all that free money you you should have gotten your free money as
0: well yeah yeah exactly yeah.
1: thanks for the call I appreciate eight five five six one six one six twenty. Rose on the northwest side. Rose, good afternoon.
5: Hi. Hey, R- Hi, Rose. I don't think I don't think this is right. It completely it just irks me. My daughters both went
3: to college and they both paid off their loans. One went to UW-Milwaukee and the other one went to SLU and they both did work study and paid it during, you know, while they're doing that. And it's just not right. If anything, lower the interest, mm-hmm. maybe drop
5: the You know, don't charge interest for a while, maybe. But these people, they have student loans, and they don't care. They're buying the most expensive cars and everything else, and they don't care about the student loan. Right, and, and that's and not right.
1: You're, you're right. Thanks it, it is an obligation that that you took. I mean, some. I've got a text here, Jeff. If we really want to be fair, give any person that's going to college a ten thousand dollar tax credit. Don't penalize the responsible people. Yeah, I mean, right. Why? Uh, and th- this is one of the most compelling arguments. I mean, why? Why would we? Let's say on, Let's say on June first. Joe Biden decides he's got the power to just cancel, cancel loans for the outstanding loans. Well, what about the people that have paid off their student loan in the last year or the last two years or the last three years or the last 10 years or whatever? I mean, why shouldn't why shouldn't you get that money as well? Why is it only the people who uh, still owe money? Why should they be the ones that that are the beneficiaries of this? How about all of us? I mean, I I took out student loans to go to law school. I mean, I I, I had student loans to go to law school. We we paid them off. My late wife, she took out student loans to go to law school. You know, we, we ended up Paying them off over a series of years. It it was, it was great. It provided, and I I love the student loan program. It it gave, it gives people an opportunity to, you know, pursue higher education, which I think is a great thing as well. But still, this idea that, okay, well, now you've got to pay the piper. Now that these bills are coming due, now we expect you to have to pay the stuff back. Well, okay, well, welcome to the, the real world. And if you do something like this, I, I mean, it makes everybody else chumps. You paid for your kids' education. Well, you're a chump you worked your way through college well you know and, and you're a chump that that's just that is what we are essentially saying let's talk to um rick in lake geneva hi rick you're on wtmj
0: hi thanks for taking my call sure you know i'm coming at it from a different perspective i'm against this you know uh the year of jubilee total forgiveness you know we're not living back in the old testament all right uh i and both my daughter we went to college we sought out every single you know possible grant we could get every possible scholarship we could get and we had 30 40 50 applications to all different types of foundations we worked that way we also did mm-hmm. you know uh, you know working you know working at the college you know working in sure. a bookstore or whatever you know that's how we went to college yeah. my daughter came out after six years of school with zero debt right?
1: But, right. but but she I sacrificed. She, 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 school. You, but your daughter sacrificed. right? You, but, but you guys sacrificed while you were going to school. You worked. You did all these right. other things um, that you would have probably rather not done. I mean, I know all sorts of people that, you know, worked in the worked in the cafeteria or did, worked in the bookstore, or did all sorts of things that they would have preferred not to do. But they, they did it because they had to because they had to pay for their education.
0: Correct, and you know it's uh, it's it's not fair to anybody just to have that forget that that no Thanks you for call.
1: I appreciate it, uh, Jeff. My daughter is in college. My son is going soon. I have saved in my five twenty nines to cover them, but now I think I'm going to have them take out loans just in case this lunacy happens. Well, that you know that's a you know that's a very real real issue that that's out there. Um, you know, I, I have I think if you know in my situation, I don't I don't have children, but years and years ago my niece and nephew my late wife and i made the decision that we were going to with their parents you know we were going to try to aggressively save to help them go to college and we put aside you know, a bunch of money and that, that's kind of how it worked out. My niece is graduating summa cum laude from San Diego State in about a month or so. And she's going on to law school. And, you know, we've got some money put aside as well for my nephew, you know, depending on what he's going to choose to do. He's not in high school yet, but you know, we, we, we aggressively saved and there was all sorts of other things that we could have spent that money on. So I guess now what, what is that question? Should I? You know cash out that should I cash out the 529 plan don't worry Alex I'm not going to do it and just say hey you know we're, we're gonna allow the government to take care of all this I mean at some point in time you, you, you made the obligation you owe the dough let's talk to Luann and Racine hi Luanne. you're on WTMJ
5: hi how are you I'm well, I am feel the same way I when my kids went to college I got another job and worked a second job helped pay for it we paid for most of it and the kids worked for it also and there's if you don't have if you give this to everyone, then what about us parents that did that and gave up vacations and cars and yeah. good things like that? And what character do you build in these children if you if, if they can do whatever they want, buy whatever they want and have no liability or no responsibility to pay it back?
1: Well, that's right. I mean, it's it just we, we tell people we teach people that there is a free lunch and, and maybe see and that's what you know i'm getting a couple texts from people who say oh you, you just rail against any progressive idea see i mean Leanne, th- this money has to be paid for somewhere i mean you know exactly. we're, we're looking at 1.7 t as in trillion dollars it's not like the debt goes away it just means the the taxpayers end up picking up the tab for that or or you borrow money to cover it and you know i, I for 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 the life of me, I do not understand why, for example, somebody that owes a bunch of money who went to Harvard, why you or I should be paying their should be paying their you know, the, the debts they racked up going to Harvard or Yale or the University of Wisconsin or any of the other great schools around there. Why why should we have paid for that? Why should we? And there's no good reason for it.
5: Not just that, but I've already paid my kids' college debts. Why should I pay for someone else's?
1: Well because well I mean, that's
5: just not you're not teaching anyone anything. Well, you're not teaching them responsibility. You're not teaching them what happens when you when you go after something, you have to fight for it to make it worth your while. So they get all these college things, okay, fine, well I can't get a job that pays $90,000 a year, so I'll just work I'll just live on the on the government mm-hmm. for now because you're not teaching them anything. Kids no. need kids need to be able to know that when you give them something that like that they've earned it and they have to work for it well, well plus if you it, borrow it's a money you
1: pay it back yeah that that's it. it's it's an obligation you take that this isn't it's not like anybody forces you it's not it's like it's nobody forced somebody to sign on the dotted line i mean it's a decision that people made now you can argue well i, I didn't understand the full ramifications of it but still it, it's a decision that you made hey i'm going to borrow this money i'm going to use it to go to school Oh, okay, now pay up. Thanks for call. I mean, I think it's it's that. I think it's that simple. Let's uh, one more call. Uh, Chris downtown. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
5: Hi there.
4: Yes, Hi I. Uh, my concern are the number of students that join the military for the tuition reimbursement who have made now a six year commitment. Yep. And if they were going to have their debts forgiven and have their education paid for, they may not have made that choice.
1: Well, I, I mean, I guess my, my question would be you raise an interesting point, Chris, for people who, again, went through ROTC or, or whatever, you made that commitment. Um, and in return, you got your schooling. I mean, should we let everybody out of their commitment now? OK, no, no, just, just don't worry. We're going to we're going to go back and we're going to make this all free. And, you know, it, it's all a big do over. And and I don't think anybody would argue that that's appropriate either. I mean, you, you make that commitment.
3: Right.
1: So no, thank, thank you. No, I'm with No, Thanks for call. I, again, this is the, there. Joe Biden has, has asked. Um, has made a request of people in his administration to look at the authority as to, you know, whether or not He can write, he's asked the education secretary to, hey, do you you think we can just write off all this debt? Now, I think the answer ultimately is going to be no, but you know that there's a lot of pressure, especially from people on the left, to just do that because, again, it's just another example of of a free lunch. And yes, if you paid for your education, if you helped your kids pay for their education, well, yes, you, you are a chump if this, in
0: fact, happens. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So Melissa and Jordan, who is
1: producing the show today, grew is on on vacation. I, I have a I have a note from a listener on our text line, which actually makes a very very valid point. But it is a problem with if not above my pay grade, it is a different pay grade. So I, I'm going to share it, and um, and you two can figure out how to, how to solve this, okay? So um, during, I don't know if it was during the commercial break or the lead-in, we were running one of those promos that tells, and it actually uses the voice of my regular producer, Gru, that to, to tells people how to enable their, their Alexa device. Well, here's the note. Jeff, I'm a daily listener of WTMJ on TuneIn through the Alexa app. From time to time, WTMJ produces an ad with the purpose of informing listeners that they can listen to WTMJ. WTMJ online like I do in such ads the announcer demonstrates the capability by talking to Alexa in the commercial This is a problem. My Alexa hears the commercial and acts on it thereby kicking itself off of WTMJ The opposite action is intended. Then I need to ask to reconnect with WTMJ This could be avoided through better commercial design. Perhaps you can send a message to your marketing department. Thanks I think they make a valid point. Don't you guys? It's above my pay grade. Yeah, all right. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. No,
3: you know what's funny? Uh, Eric Bilstad has an Alexa in his office. And every once in a while, some it'll Let's get be careful. Let's
1: be careful so we don't trigger it for everybody right. who's listening it, yeah, to it'll, us. Yeah, it'll,
3: it'll get triggered. And it will say, what did you say? Right. <laughs> Wait, I didn't say anything. Well, but, yeah. no, I,
1: I understand exactly what the person is, is talking about. They're listening to us on the app. Mm-hmm. They hear it. Yeah. They hear that advertisement. And then th- that because you know, we're, we're telling people it is we're telling people how you can connect with us and then it is a little bit counterproductive that's now, I,
3: interesting that's the first time I've heard of someone I, having that problem but well
1: but but well there is no but yeah but I've had um, you know there was a whole South Park episode about you know they, they would they would say they would on the show they would do these different commands and yeah. people who were watching the show they had the thing and the thing was doing all this stuff so it's it, it is kind of an issue that's out there I okay so we've all decided that if it's not above our pay grade it's a Different pay grades than all of ours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but, you, but but it is an issue because one of the big changes that I've I've seen over the, the years that I've, I've been doing radio is the way the, the way stuff has evolved. See, Melissa, I'm going to date myself, but when I started doing the show in the '90s, there was. Um, Cell cell phones were not ubiquitous. Like the we we had people that have car phones, but they were you know the big things that you plugged into your cigarette lighter and things like that. Right, that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And it it was great because it allowed people to participate. You know, outside of the home. You know, it was you know you you could be driving between appointments or whatever and it was great and it opened up this whole avenue for people to participate in in the show but that was this change and then you know now everybody's got the cell phones and stuff and so everybody's and and now of course with the after Al Gore invented the internet now you've got all this different listening and yes I mean we, we are a radio station and yes people still listen to us you know, over the air, but people listen to us from all, people were asking me, I was doing this interview with a place in Florida not that long ago, and they were saying, well, you know, do you you know, do do you syndicate the show? And I said, well, no, you don't really have to syndicate anymore, because we're, we're, there's all these different avenues that people can listen to, and we have people in Hawaii, and in Florida, and in Arizona, you can listen anywhere you want, and you can listen with the podcast, you can listen during your own time. It's really been amazing how that that whole thing has changed, so we, we do you know, appreciate the people that Listening on the Alexa app and stuff like that.
3: Absolutely, I know you get listeners that say, "Hey, I'm from Florida," or "Hey, I'm from," you know. It's it's interesting to see where they're all where they're all coming from.
1: Um, Yeah, and, and but it's and and a lot of times it's transplanted Milwaukeeans or Wisconsinites who still, you know, want to keep connected with things. And so they they, they listen and they participate. And and the, the interesting thing with the with the podcast, it, it took me a little while to figure this out because sometimes in, in the morning, you know, I wake up and I check my email and, and you have somebody that's sending me an email that's all worked up about something and, and they've sent it at like at three o'clock in the morning. And I'm trying to figure out where is this coming from? And then it occurs to me, they, they, they were listening to a podcast from a show like a week ago, and but they were listening at 3 o'clock in the morning or, or whatever, and and they're worked up and they want to well, share. Maybe it's,
3: it's kept them up all night, well, well, and they just need to let it out. Well,
1: and that's fine. I, I welcome, but it, but it did take me – we'd get mm-hmm. these, and it would take me a while thinking, okay, why in the blank is yeah, somebody you yeah. know sending me this note? But, but I think that's it. They're listening to the podcast on their own time, and I it, it, it's one of these great sort of things. So, okay, we have now – We have now passed this on to hopefully some of the powers that be. will figure out how we can tell people how to listen to us, which is what we certainly want them to do, but how we can do this without annoying them or unduly annoying them, right? (laughs) Because if you're listening to me, I guarantee you, you know, you, you listen to the whole three hour show, there will be something sometime during that three hours that I will annoy you, whether you're on the right side of the aisle or the left side of the aisle or Or whatever. Okay. Now people are sending us texts about other problems that they have. Um, okay. Uh, the other problem I have with the app is it does not air the Brewers games, even though if I tune into the station, my radio, it's on. That's, that's a whole different story. That the, the Brewers game, that's a, that's a contractual thing with Major League Baseball. And, um, you can listen to us if you're in like a five county range, but that's, that is way beyond my pay grade. Trust me on that. Okay. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Governor Evers, and we played a clip during the news, Governor Evers talking about how, you know, he, he wants people to call their lawmakers and, and pressure them to legalize marijuana in this state. It's interesting because, uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden is opposed to legalized marijuana. And he's been very, very blunt about this, despite the fact that, you know, lots of people in his party are big proponents of it. Um, you know uh Biden, very, very clear that he does not support, you know, legalized marijuana. And he has all sorts of different concerns about it. He has concerns about whether it's a a gateway drug for things and and you know, candidly, um he he's He's not on board, and he's made it very, very clear that on the federal level, if there's efforts to decriminalize or legalize marijuana, he's he's in all likelihood not going to sign it. In Wisconsin, I see there is two there is two two issues. One is the question of medical marijuana, and in all honesty, I, I see no reason why we do not allow medical marijuana if if you know anybody who's, for example you know, had, had cancer, serious cancer, that the, the type of, of drugs that they, they give people to, you know, fight cancer, for example, um, you know, very, very heavy duty stuff. And alternatively, I, I guess I'm thinking if you could be given these high power opioids, um if you've got a cancer thing and if, if instead hey we can help you get your appetite up by allowing medical marijuana it, it's tough for me to see why we don't allow that as long as you control it recreational marijuana and i understand i've been doing this show long enough to know that i'm swimming upstream here i am not sold on the legalization just like joe biden i am not sold on the legalization of of recreational use marijuana I think it would lead to increased use. I think there are still concerns about whether or not it is a gateway drug. I think that if you accept my basic premise, that if you made it legal, more people would use it. That then raises the question of, okay, is this really something that we want to encourage in our, our society? That is, you know, more people becoming potheads. And, and my answer would be, my answer would be no. One segment, 855-616-1620, that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Governor Evers putting a full court press on, in part because he thinks it's an electoral win, but th- the same guy who would denounce cigarette smoking and denouncing vaping is talking about legalizing marijuana and calling for people to call their legislators. 855-616-1620, who's right, Tony Evers or Joe Biden? How's that for a choice? We discuss in just a moment. <laughs> Interesting. Joe Biden is not a proponent of legalized marijuana, and he's made that very clear, including as recently as a couple days ago. Tony Evers is out. This is one of the hills that he chooses to base his fight on. He he wants Wisconsin to legalize marijuana. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I don't think it should be legalized. And what allies of potheads don't seem to understand is even if it's legal, an employer can still terminate people if they drug test you or you come to work high or you smoke at work. Uh, Jeff and Fox points is, Jeff, I'm for medicinal use, but against recreational use. Just yesterday, I saw and smelled people smoking weed in their vehicles. Jeff, Biden is right. We have too many idiots driving now. Jeff, I think weed should be legalized, but I actually appreciate Biden for taking a principled stance on the issue, considering he's flipped on very many other things. Jeff, I personally do not support legalization, but if people argued for health reasons, I could get on board. But the fact that many states are pushing legalization simply for The tax money is despicable to me. Um, Now, okay, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Don in Green Bay. Hi, Don.
2: Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Another great show, by the way. Thank you. What do you Uh, think about all this? I am 100% in favor of legalizing both. Uh, At the end of the day, the gateway drugs are the alcohol the kids steal out of their parent uh, liquor cabinet. It's not marijuana. There is tax implications there. You can't help the economy with it. Um, And if you were to take an honest study, say, for a 10-year period, and look at the effects of legalized marijuana and how that relates to criminality, and legalize alcohol and how that relates to criminality you would you, you would make alcohol illegal
1: okay but but i guess here's there's, here's the thing don if i mean and i don't want to i don't i never want to come across as being the poster child for alcohol abuse and if and if we would accept the premise that you know there, there, there's alcoholism and there's all these social costs and drunk driving and things like that without defending alcohol why does that justify legalizing marijuana, if we would also agree that that's going to at least lead to some societal problems? There will be people that get behind the wheel of the car high. There will be people that show up high to work. There will be people who develop an, an addiction of sorts to it. I mean, what, just just because we have alcohol, why would we, why would we endorse another vice, for point of a better term? Well, I don't
2: know if you're endorsing another vice, but... People drink alcohol, and I'm not trying to tie it back into that, but they don't show up to work drunk and drink on the job mm-hmm. to make the implication that someone's going to get high and go to work or be at work and get high. There's no correlation there. That's just making an assumption that that would happen.
1: Well, no. At I get... the end
2: of the day, oh, bear with me if you could. At the end of the day, market polling has consistently shown that 59, percent roughly, of uh, Wisconsinites people want you know, it to be legal fully and
1: no i no, I get no, no Don I, well, by the way, I, I agree on the medicinal thing, and i 've always felt that way for the reasons i 've given but and and, and yes that that 's why I understand i 'm swimming upstream here because you, you say that and there 's a lot of people that even if they didn 't smoke dope, they, they think that there 's going to be all this this added tax revenue that 's going to be coming in from other people who who do I guess my my biggest concern about this is that I, I think as I was saying earlier, if you legalize marijuana that is going to lead to increased usage. And I understand there's lots of people that smoke pot now, um, and there's lots of people that have smoked pot since they were 18, and uh, they're, they, they, they've gone on to very successful careers. There's other people, though, who have had their who, you know, are are those potheads and it's 25 years later and, you know, you're, you're digging hash brownie out of your ear in your mom's basement and it's the day that, your you know, your nephew graduates from law school. Now, that's not everybody, but I, I guess I, I do go back and I say, OK, what? What are we really accomplishing by legalizing marijuana? But I, I acknowledge I'm swimming upstream. I read the same polls. I, I get it. People say, why not? And the idea is, hey, we're going to be able to generate all this tax revenue. In some cases, and if you look at some of the other states that have, have done this, like Oregon, what they find is some of the claims about tax revenue have been you know, overstated. But I also acknowledge in Wisconsin, we are, we are an island. You know, you, There's all the surrounding states or many of our surrounding states you know, le- legalize marijuana. I think time will tell how, as a social policy, that works out. But I understand, Evers knows he's got a winning issue as far as the polls, and Democrats have, have pushed this. That's why, you know, over the last couple elections, you've you've had these marijuana referendums on the ballot, and that's been a motivation of people to come out and vote for them. And the thinking is they're more likely to vote for Democratic candidates as well. So there, there is an electoral surge for this. I'm just, I have trouble, just like I have trouble basing a state's revenue on on gambling, and I'm I'm not anti-gambling. I have trouble saying, okay, we've got to legalize marijuana, and who cares about any social consequences that there might be as long as we can generate the revenue. Back with more in just a minute. (music) Jeff, I graduated from high school about five years ago. I would say seven out of the top ten students were potheads. The trope that weed makes you unsuccessful is just wrong now. Now, I guess I I got a couple of thoughts about that. The idea that that seven out of the the top ten students are are all potheads i'm i 'm not sure what that says about the future of america okay here here are the people these are your, your your future doctors and and you know these are these are the the research chemists and these are the people that are going to be building you know the built bridges and stuff they 're all potheads so oh, okay i 'm not sure how I feel about that, but I accept it my my other point would be okay the, this the the texter graduated about 5 years ago L- let let's check in in 20 years and, and see where those <clears throat> those seven out of the top 10 potheads you know have, have turned out and and again maybe they'll maybe they're out there finding the cure to cancer or maybe, maybe
3: they, they just need to take the edge off jeff well yeah <laughs> hey
1: man yeah or or like i say may, <laughs> and maybe they will be the, the great research chemists finding the cure to cancer or Maybe they will be thirty five years old in mom's basement, you know, digging hash brownie out of their ear. <laughs> no, I mean you, you, oh, it, it, it could it, it could go either way. I'm just I'm just saying. We'll we'll and I, I respect the texture. we'll just we'll we'll check in and see where we are twenty years
0: from now. Hey man. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 855-616-1620. And now here is Jeff Wagner.
1: Yeah, this is the segment of the program. If you're, real, if you're new to the show, we, we do this every Friday, the last segment of the show, the last half hour. We do put aside the heavy lifting. And believe me, I understand there's a lot of really significant stuff and some bad things going on in the world. And we, we, we talk about a lot of that during the rest of the week. And I always try to lighten it up and kind of send you off into the weekend and send me off into the weekend with kind of thinking about something fun or, or lighter. Today's topic... It was actually it turned into a, about a 45-minute time suck for me this morning. That was actually great because I when I when I try to come up with pop culture corner topics, it's always I try to think about something that's gone on in in the the week, something that's happened that kind of can be the inspiration, the launching off point for it, and and it kind of hopefully I can find something that interests me and that will interest you as well. Okay, well one of the big fun things going on is is today Aaron Rodgers wraps up his second week as the host on Jeopardy. Jeopardy. I, I love the game show Jeopardy. But you know what the truth is? I was a game show addict from when I was a kid. I can remember back, you know, when I was a kid, you'd stay home, you'd, you'd have that day off of school or you'd be home sick. And, and th- this was back in the day Then you, you turn on the TV and there were, I was going to say a million, I'm exaggerating, but there were, you know, there, there were there were game shows. That was the big thing. And game shows come in to favor and then they fall out of favor and they go back and forth. But, but game shows have been a big part of my life. I, I, I love game shows too. You know, a number of times um I will I will fall asleep to uh Family Feud which is on like the Game Show Network or whatever and they air it like at 11 or 11:30 at night so you're kind of you know you're kind of channel surfing and it's oh there's there's the Steve Harvey and they're doing the Family Feud and I'll watch it. So I thought in recognition of Aaron Rodgers wrapping up two weeks as the Jeopardy host, in recognition of you know the return of different game shows, that's what Pop Culture Corner is going to be this week. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. What's your all-time favorite game show? Could be a current one. It could be one from the 80s or 90s or 70s or 60s or 50s, but game shows. There is an appeal to it. What's the game show that you ended up liking the best? Let's take a walk down memory lane and then tell me what it was about the show. Because there's a lot of similarities. A lot of these things are are sort of the same. They're variations of it. But, you know, what's your favorite game show? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I always say during these segments... My advice is, first of all, go with your first instincts. Sometimes people tend to overthink this. But secondly, um, you know, call in early because our phone lines do tend to jam up, and I want to get to as many calls as I possibly can, as well as your text. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, your favorite game show. I know Jeopardy is going to be on a lot of people's minds, and that's fine. If you love Jeopardy, tell me why. But I think there's a lot of others as well, and I spent about 45 minutes researching this, all the different game shows, and there's a lot that I had forgotten. We'll see if you hit any of those. 855-616-1620. We're talking game shows for Pop Culture Corner this afternoon. Back with
0: your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to take your calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. I really did have the best time this
1: morning, and it was about forty-five minutes to an hour. This time sucked because I thought we're going to talk about game shows for Pop Culture Corner, and then I just started like pulling up different lists of different game shows. and There were so many out there that I had just forgotten about that were, were, were over the years that were, you know, some were just kind of dumb, but it doesn't matter. They were still kind of entertaining. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Lucy on the West Side. Lucy, good afternoon. Hi. Hi.
5: Um, this is going to date me. College bowls, the ni- late
4: 1950s and the early 60s, was a lot like Jeopardy, except without the gimmick of asking the
5: question. It would be teams of young people from two different colleges facing off and it's basically a trivia do you
1: remember the name of the host i i'm yeah i used to watch and it was like on no. week it was like on saturday afternoons or something as yeah. i recall yeah i yeah. right and right and you'd have the you'd have the college kids okay now it's going to drive me nuts because i'm gonna have to look at when we get done and, and figure <laughs> out who the host was no but i i remember you know thanks for i i remember college bowl that was great okay beanie beanie you're on wtmj good afternoon
2: hey good afternoon i would have to say price is right hands down is my favorite
1: Okay the um the original with Bob Barker or now the one with Drew Carey or just the just you in general You know
2: what yeah so I started watching it as a kid I would stay home sick just to watch it with my mom and Bob Barker obviously you know sw- second to none but right. I was really skeptical when when Drew Carey uh you know took over, but right. I think he's actually doing a, a really good job yeah, taking I, over a legend.
1: Yeah, I haven't I mean I haven't seen it for years, but I used to I used to love the the spin the wheel things and stuff like that. No, I yeah, think yeah,
2: yeah. Right, right,
1: right, exactly. Now of course along with price is right, keep in mind, all right, some some of the other great game shows of that era, like you know, who can forget Let's make a deal with Monty Hall, you know, and Carol Merrill and I want door number three. I would just I always used to love those kind of shows because you know the people, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna trade in, I've won like three Thousand dollars worth of stuff, but I want door number three, and it would turn out to be a goat or something like that. I there, there were appeals. I at least like let's make a deal. I grew up in I, when I was in college. That's when the Gong Show was big with Chuck Barris, and that was it was capital D U M B dumb. But nonetheless, it was a perfect way to like kill some time when you're in college between classes. Let's talk to Todd in Watertown. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hello, Jeff. Uh, thank you for taking the call, yes, boy. Uh, I love the Gong Show too. It was it would have been my second favorite, but my uh, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you. Um, my uh, my favorite is Match Game with Gene Rayburn. Oh. You know everybody's laughing and they're smoking right. and they're drinking and they're kissing. It <laughs> it would never fly today, but it, I, I still keep But I still uh, oh, yeah. DVR it on the uh, game
0: show. Right, and, and,
1: and who was um, okay? Who was the um, right? You, you'd always have the sort of um, the, the, the sort of like semi. Well, right, the right. The, but it was also like some of the off color questions and stuff that they, they'd have there. And it, no, I no thanks. For, I mean, I, I used to love. Match game, you're right. Gene Rayburn, he would always go and, and and he was he was sort of kissing some of the people before Richard Dawson. Remember Family Feud? We were talking about that, but I mean, now it's Steve Harvey. But remember, remember Richard Dawson and Family Feud? And it was like, man, I you, you watch you watch those old editions of Family Feud with Richard Dawson, and it's he he's grabbing these women, he's kissing them on the lips and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's a walking sexual harassment thing going on there. Matt in Germantown, Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hi Jeff, thanks I'm for taking my call.
1: Sure, the best ever. Best get your favorite game show of all time.
3: I got I got to give you one. I can't remember the host, but I was a youngster at the time. It was Joker's Wild, and we would watch it as a family. And I just remember it was just so fun to get together and watch it. It's an oldie, but I right. had to share it. It came
5: to my uh, mind first up.
1: Okay, well, the 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 original host of Joker's Wild was Jack Barry. That's probably who you're you're thinking of. But yep. now now correct me, Jordan, if I'm wrong. Our our very own Jim Peck, he hosted Joker's Wild for a while. Yeah, Jim Jim Peck, he replaced Jack Barry and and hosted Joker's Wild as well. Jim Peck from tmj so yeah yeah about that right it was but i mean i think jack berry was one of the ones and you know you have um remember like truth or consequences you can you know remember that and then there was bill cullen who did like it seems to me he did so many different ones mike on the east side mike you're on wtmj
2: Uh, hi Hi. I, i actually called in to uh tell your guy to tell you that um it was Alan Ludden that did college. Oh, uh, he, and, and
1: Alan Ludden did Password, too. Password was his big yes, one, he right? Did. And Alan Ludden was married what? to Betty White, that, you know, who, of course, yeah, is still yeah, with later us. Later on, yeah. Right. right.
0: Yeah, during the show.
2: Uh, my favorite show probably of all time really has been Jeopardy. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I watched that from day one. And yeah. Concentration used to be a good game show, too. You,
1: you know, I'm glad you mentioned Concentration. A lot of our texters are that... I was I was I sucked at that. I I mean, I I would I was good at a lot of these game shows. I could never figure out those darn puzzles, you know, because concentration was one where you match stuff and you'd flip it over. And then kind of like Wheel of Fortune where you have to guess the phrase in concentration, you have to look at it and solve the puzzle. I was awful. at that. That was what I just my mind didn't work that way. I couldn't figure out what that puzzle really is. But it was a fun show. It was a tough game. Oh yeah, no, thank thank. It was. I freely acknowledge too tough for me. Okay, let me. Um, let's see. Number of people are saying you bet your life. That was the old. Uh, that's Groucho Marx uh, to tell the truth, right? That's another one. Um, Just the the hundred thousand dollar pyramid. Yeah, pyramid. That was. I mean, there, there's been other hosts on that, but Dick Clark was the one where he did that. Um, I always I struggled on that too. A lot of people. I I wasn't any good at that. Number of people are saying Hollywood Squares with uh, the original version had Peter Marshall, remember Hollywood Squares, and and the late, great Paul Lind was the, the center square. Um, and that's, Hollywood Squares was kind of a, a fun one to do. Um, let's see, number of people are saying uh, the, the Joker's Wild, the Jack Barry. Uh, the original Tell the Truth, yeah, that, that goes back to the 50s. Um, let's see. A couple other people are saying College Bowl again with you know Alan Ludden, who also, like I said, did Password and that was very good. What's my line? I thought What's my line was the uh, was the best. You know, nobody's mentioned the Newlywed Game thus far. You know, with Bob Bob Eubanks. Okay, here's one of my lists. Uh, this lists the top 25 greatest game shows. Here's a couple we haven't mentioned: Card Sharks, um, Cash Cab. I've never seen that. That's still on. Uh, Deal or No Deal. The Dating Game. Well, that was a Chuck Barris one. I remember the the Dating Game back in the day. Gong Show. That's there. Jeopardy gets a mention. Hollywood Squares. Love Connection. I never watched Love Connection. Uh, The Match Game. A lot of people are mentioning that. Name That Tune. I wasn't any good at Name that tune either. I can name that tune in three notes. Wasn't that great at that. Press Your Luck. Uh, the Price is Right with Bob Barker to Tell the Truth. Oh, this is one. It was kind of obscure, but I, I used to love it. Supermarket Sweep. Now, the original Supermarket Sweep, my producer Jordan is looking at me questionably. Um, uh, Justin is looking at me questionably. The, the um, Supermarket Sweep, what they would do in the original version, they would have these contestants and they would set up like the, this mock supermarket and you'd... You'd run through the supermarket throwing stuff in the shopping cart, and whoever had the stuff that had the most value, they won and it was really it was just it was just this this complete exercise in greed but everybody would run to the meat section and you'd grab the big hunks of steak for some reason i was kind of fascinated by that um millionaire who wants to be a millionaire that was just so incredibly big and the one actually on the list i have of the top game show of all time something that nobody mentioned either meant nobody mentioned either on our phone line or on the text line um wheel of fortune You know, Wheel of Fortune, one of the long-running shows that's out there. So um, Card Sharks, let's see, the original Pressure Luck, a lot of people mentioning the Newlywed Show and the Gong Show and the Price is Right. Jeff, my mom loved Queen for a Day. That's really going back in time. But, yeah, that was a big deal as well. I've Got a Secret, hosted by Gary Moore. That was an old one as well. Bottom line is game shows come and go, but some of them are absolutely timeless. And I think Aaron Rodgers actually did a pretty good job hosting Jeopardy. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.